0: All right, hey guys, welcome to the third episode of Reframe Your Brain. I am Danielle Kent. I'm a speech-language pathologist. And I'm Leah Sofran, also a speech-language pathologist. And today we are talking about the really hot topic now of active listening. And I'm trying to think of how it first came up for us. Why? Remember we were just having a conversation one day mm-hmm. after meeting with a team, or one of us had met with a team. I can't remember what it was. And we just thought, like,
1: this would be a good concept to just kind of bring to the podcast and talk a little more about. Yeah, it's something that you know, listening, different listening styles, and and the the way that people communicate when when they're listening or the way that they process what people are are telling them is something that comes up in our our team team work settings a lot, and something we've both been exploring to learn strategies around supporting teams to be, you know, strong listeners and strong communicators. So I think that just sort of naturally came out of that. Yeah,
0: I think as an SLP, you know, within our field, you know, both areas, healthcare and educational, active listening is a skill that we really need to have in order to work really efficiently with the people we work with and the teams we work with and the families we work with. So I think this topic will be one that we'll hopefully we can give some helpful thoughts around and some tips around today. I think probably um starting off just kind of talking about defining active listening. What does that mean? You know?
1: What is it? What is what is active listening?
0: How? What do you think about, or what do you think of when
1: you hear the term active listening?
0: So now when I hear active listening, when I think about it, first I have to think about it as, for me, it's still a conscious process. So mm-hmm. making sure when I'm going into a meeting with a family or a team or a patient, that I am prepared myself first to be ready to receive information. Yeah. And for me, that means getting ready to listen, which means kind of putting aside, you know, we're so busy day to day life, it means putting aside... You know my own judgments which we talked about mm-hmm. but also putting aside the busyness of my own life and right. making sure i'm coming prepared to be present to listen and hear what the other person or the team or the person is saying
1: yeah and i, I think there's interest it's interesting that you said um it's still a, a conscious process for you because i think that's that's the point yeah like that it it might it it needs to always be an active aware process that that to to be conscious of the fact that you are making space for someone else to share information with you and that you know our own lives and our own thoughts aren't kind of sneaking in and distracting us while we're listening to others i mean i think that's that's one of the main keys that's a, a key piece of active listening yeah it's being able to recognize when that's happening and kind of put those things aside and say you know no i want to be present for the person that i'm communicating with and um, and really be able to hear what they're saying without you know the chatter of my own day yes yes <laughs> the chatter
0: which i think in today's world because we have so much mm-hmm. going on we have so much input putting that aside and i think that's a great point about it being a continual process. Because I, I think that's just like with anything, even though you get better at things, you're always working on staying conscious and aware right. of, of your improvements. Yeah. So yeah, be, like, a conscious effort on my part, you know, putting aside my own stuff, whatever that stuff may be, my own like, life stuff or my own judgments, leaving it at, you know, outside the door and coming prepared to listen mm-hmm. to what the other person is saying. And I think for me first, I think of honoring what they're saying as their truth yeah and that for me is something that I think comes with that active process of remembering, even though I might know different or think different, right what they're saying is typically their truth, and their their reality in
1: that moment, yeah, that's a really good point, yeah, I think for me too, there's a piece of um you know remembering that my role. Can shift, and in some circumstances, it's really just to to be like receiving what someone else is is saying, and that I don't have to be thinking about um, how to respond yeah. while I'm listening. That there's plenty of time for that, and in fact, I I find it's really good for me because it slows it slows things down. You know, it gives everyone some space to think about how they're how they're talking and and whether they're sharing their complete thoughts and it takes some of the pressure off to like be be quick or to um you know we're not always succinct and, and 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 precise when we're talking so i think it allows space for people to kind of meander and work things through too you know as they're talking Um especially you know if you're sort of as the listener you're you've made it really clear like your your job or my job as the listener is to really just wait until you're finished. You know, yes. not interrupt, not not be preparing a a response, a rebuttal. Yeah. You know, and to like you said, hear hear what they're saying as their truth, as their reality, um, in that moment. And I like so
0: one of the things I think, and I'm and I'm thinking specifically about our field is yeah. when we go into situations. I think we often step in, and people are looking to us for answers. Mm-hmm. You know, that's typically when we're called into a role. We're diagnosing, we're treating, we're getting, you know, materials together. Right. I mean, we're very much the solver. So I think there's, there's some pressure that comes of feeling like when somebody asks a question or says something to us, we need to be able to give quick feedback mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a kind of a, you know, in grad school, think about the heart of grad school, is that's all about, like, information coming in and being able to put it back out right. quickly and efficiently. And really, when you're out in the field, yes, people are looking to us for answers, but... You know, making sure that people really feel like they're being heard first is most important. So, you know, the example I think about is when I was supervising clinical evaluations at UVM, and I'd go and I'd support grad students in the process of mm-hmm. uh, of working with parents, one of the things that I always coach them on is make sure you feel like you really understand what they're hoping to get from this evaluation. So some of the first ones I, I did with the students, we talked a lot about, you know, reframing, and we'll talk about this strategy later, mm-hmm. but just kind of Giving the information back to the parent and being like, "This is what I hear. Like you're looking for. Is that what you really like right. to walk away with?" And I had several parents who would tell the grad student or tell me, "Like you know, it feels so nice to be heard. Like actually, along those lines. Yeah, of, yeah. You know, it feels like you, you're actually listening to what we're hoping to walk away with. Right. And and so that for me, instead of feeling like, well, when they're pretending all these concerns, I need to be able to give you an answer. Making sure, like, I'm clear first on what you're really looking for. Right. Because sometimes it doesn't match up. Right. Like, here's what I'm hearing. Can you, you know, verify for me, is that what you're looking for? And sometimes it matches up and sometimes it doesn't. But talk about communication breakdown. If
1: I'm giving you an answer of something you're not even really looking Asking for. for. Yeah. yeah. Or if, you know, sometimes, sometimes I think in, a, in in addition to that, there's someone may not know what they need or what they're looking for. Yeah. You know, they might know what is causing them distress, or they might be able to describe a situation that they've observed happening, but they might not. They might not know what to do with that. Yeah. And yeah. um, and I think, especially in the medical setting, there's a lot of pressure on patients to kind of know what they need. You know, like, and and I've experienced this in my my, you know, personally is like, it's this idea that. You, as the patient, need to have so much knowledge and so much understanding about mm. all you know the, the medical world. The events, yeah. yeah, and so that's, that's a lot to expect of anybody. Yes. And, and I don't think that that's like necessarily the, 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 the real expectation, but the way that the systems work, there aren't a lot of opportunities for people to say, like, well, this is what's happening, Yes, and I don't know what I need. And so who do I ask? You know, who's the right person to answer that question? And then the other thing I was thinking while you were talking is um, I find that giving a, you know, parents or patients a chance to, to talk about what, they're, what they think or what they need or what, what's going on also helps them be able to identify better what is actually happening Mm -hmm. if there's some confusion around that. So having that conversation and reflecting back, you know, oh, it's, you know, I'm hearing this Mm -hmm. and have them be able to refine that or confirm that I think brings some clarity also um, for their own experience, especially um, if it's something that's really emotionally challenging or, or new and kind of confusing or, you know, high, highly stressful. Some of the medical situations that we've both worked in. I think you get family members and someone who's, you know, whose health is declining and there's a lot in there yeah. that can cause a lot of stress, can cause a lot of confusion. And to be able to have a way to communicate with families and slow that process down and say like, you know, this is what I'm hearing you asking for or saying that you need. Is that, does that feel accurate? Does that feel like it resonates with you? Yeah. Yeah. So, I also, I also think about, you know, when people feel, when people say that they, you know, that they feel heard, what does that, you know, what does that really mean? Like, to me, it means that they're feeling like acknowledged, yeah. like their experience yeah. is be, like validated, mm-hmm. you know, that their experiences and their perspectives are considered valuable and relevant and, you know, they're not dismissed because they're not a medical professional. Um, and that I think goes a long way to establishing a relationship to work with a family or yeah. to work with um, a patient mm-hmm. they they trust that you have their their best interests and you know actually their interests, yeah. not just their health interests in mind yeah so. I think coming to the table equally <laughs> when you're looking to work
0: together, you know on a, on a treatment plan or anything, mm-hmm. coming to the, the table equally is so incredibly important and you know you're right being heard means a number of things but you know when i think about when families come to the table for being heard it just means for me i think of like you see me and you're actually listening to what i'm saying right. and you're li- you're you're validating some of the things that i'm saying right. and you know sometimes i think in the busy world today that gets left behind just because things need to get done and you know paperwork needs to be submitted and and the heart of what we both try and do is is incorporate this principle into a lot of what we do And I think, you know, sometimes because we do it, I think sometimes it can also evoke some emotions. Sure. Because when you're, you know, finally acknowledging something or validating or really truly reflecting back on what somebody is saying, I think sometimes that can evoke an emotional response or can support an emotional response. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, for some people that feels a little uncomfortable, but that to me is Overwhelming. Overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. But you know we we talked a little bit about empathy too, but I feel like active listening kind of also pulls in that whole empathy component of yeah like being with somebody and not above them or below them, but just being with somebody.
1: Right. That's making me think about you know what are sort of the key principles of active listening yeah. in, in terms of how we think about it. And one of the ones we've talked about is really not it's not a, a process that involves judgment. Yep. You know, it's it's one about um, relating. Yes. And empathizing. Is really at the foundation of that, yes um, what are What are some of the other principles you? Yeah, I wrote down like I de- for of... me
0: identifying and acknowledging, like, mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to and I don't and I'm not trying to put a label on it, but I'm also trying to clarify for you know myself so I'm understanding where they're coming from identifying and acknowledging what they are saying to me. So those two words stick mm-hmm. out, empathy, identifying and acknowledging, being present, mm-hmm. those
1: those for me really stick out for active listening sometimes that's called reflective listening to yes you know where you hear what someone is saying and you state it back to them in a way that is um using their own words yeah to to just confirm that the message that they um s- sent you is the message that you received yes <laughs> basically yes you know and um i think that another big one is um is like you started off by saying is really putting aside Mm. putting aside any any baggage from the day Mm -hmm. any preconceived you know um ideas about what the conversation might be like how it might go or or the the individual and um and just listening to what is happening in the moment yeah yeah i mean i think that that's not to say that you know you don't we don't use our um the knowledge that we might have about a larger, situ- a larger situation or knowledge we might have about that person to to later inform decision making yeah. but in that moment it's really it's okay to put those things aside and, yes. and just hear what the person is saying
0: and I think so that's I think that is really for me that feels like the key to all this is coming prepared to with like the active part in mind of leaving aside because I think about even the example of you know, when a parent is sharing with me, like I just you know, I'm feeling really overwhelmed or stressed. If I'm coming in really overwhelmed and stressed, really? I might say something like, Oh no, I hear you like I feel really stressed too. So it becomes right. about me. Right, right. Instead of I like hearing that person like, Yeah, you are really doing a lot. I I hear you're telling me you're doing a lot of things. And so that feels like big key for me is us coming prepared and ready to
1: work through this process of active listening. So what are some strategies? I, 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 That made me think about strategies because I think sometimes people, especially in the field that we're in, this idea of of relating an experience to our own experience is considered a way of, of appearing supportive mm-hmm. or um, creating a connection, and that that is um, presumed to be helpful for someone mm-hmm. when you're trying to, to hear what they're saying. Um, and maybe, maybe, in some cases that's true, but in this kind of conversation that we 're talking about, that would be that would be sort of shifting the focus away from listening to the person. so what are some strategies that you use to get your mind in the right you know um, focused the way you want it to be focused so yeah. that you can you can do you can have a conversation with someone without over relating or without drawing your own experience into it?
0: yeah, so one of the things I always have to try and do is try and put my own mind on pause so and that's really you know my brain my brain yeah i can relate to that you you know (laughs) you know so it's really like putting it on pause and remembering my my job right now is to be present with this person Mm -hmm. so i personally i'm going to try and move i me and my out. i'm trying to move it out of my Mm -hmm. vocabulary for that conversation unless it's called in for some reason so it becomes about we and you because this is really about Mm -hmm. us and you and me listening so I think that's a, that's like one of my first steps coming in and just kind of identifying right off the bat as quickly, not not as quickly, but as efficiently as I can settling into the conversation and opening up the conversation in a way so that the other person has an open door to kind of enter in and start sharing more about them or about their loved one. I think a lot of that comes with like motivational interviewing and, you know, reflective, you know, Mm -hmm. questioning and getting opening up the door instead of just standard yes, no questions, which don't do a whole lot. Right. Opening up with more open ended questions. Um, That's kind of because I feel like if I start off on that foot, then I can kind of naturally continue in that area. But if I start off with really guided, directed, Mm -hmm. then it gets harder to really get to active listening because I'm not even
1: giving them a chance to tell me more. About what's going on sometimes I'll start a conversation like that by saying you know this this is a time where I'm I'm just listening to what you have to say Mm -hmm. and so I might ask you questions or ask you for more information and um, and just you know let you talk until you stop and at that point you know, I might st- I let people know that I might be restating what they say just to confirm, mm-hmm. because I think that sometimes that can feel kind of unnatural, given the way that we normally communicate. And um, when I've been on the receiving end of that, it can feel a little bit like uncomfortable, uncomfortable. And <laughs> and sometimes, depending on how it's done, it can also feel a little bit um, condescending. Mm. You know, depending on how how skilled people are at, at at how they restate what you say and how mindful they are of their tone of voice and where they put the emphasis of their they're, you know, when they're speaking. Um, and so I let people know when I'm doing that, that it's really just the, the function of it is just for me to confirm that I understand, that I'm hearing what you want me to hear. Yeah. Uh, and I find that that helps a lot, especially working with um, individuals, you know, with, with adults who might be in a skilled nursing setting or in a hospital setting who are interacting with a lot of medical professionals and being asked a lot of questions Mm -hmm. that they may not understand the the function of, Mm -hmm. I find I get more information um, and more more sort of authentic information. Mm -hmm. And then with parents and families, I find that it has a very, um, not welcoming effect, but people feel like, oh, okay, I get this, this is a time for me to to really share all those things that I feel like Mm -hmm. no one else has listened to. Mm -hmm. And even though sometimes it's a, it it results in a a lot of information, I feel like it is a more comprehensive, you get, I get a more comprehensive picture of what the person is really thinking and feeling. Yeah. And can, I can sort of identify the pieces from that and then say, Oh, can you tell me more about, you know, this statement, or can you tell me more about this challenge that you identify and, um, and and it's sort of a similar. What did you call that? Motivational interviewing, mm-hmm. where you're, you know, the 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 focus is really like following what is important to the the, the person, person talking. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: yeah, and I think one of the one of the biggest things is in somehow, some way, asking the question of you know, what are your hopes or concerns mm-hmm. in this process? And mm-hmm. I think that's you know across the whole field. Is when you're working with somebody who has a communication disorder, or yeah. you know, a voice disorder, or a swallowing disorder. There's all, there's all, somewhere intertwined there some hopes and some concerns. Sure. And I feel like when we leave those out, yeah, we're missing a huge part of this person's treatment plan or this right. person's you know, tr- you know, overall work with us. And so that often is where active listening is really key because. They're sharing something very personal mm-hmm. when you talk about hopes and concerns mm-hmm. for that process.
1: And a lot of the time, you know, the settings that that our reason for being involved is because there's some kind of, you know, quote-unquote deficit. Mm-hmm. And those are often, not always, but those are often pretty obvious mm-hmm. to yeah. us. And so we we can make some assessment about those. But the hopes, you know, those are something that that may not be obvious at all and so how do we know what a person is hoping for unless we ask and how does that relate to their understanding of their you know current situation whatever that may be yes you know and does that mean I think that that opens a lot that highlights a lot of things like need for education around you know the prognosis of a particular diagnosis or um, the you know what the recovery from a particular event might look like or just develop, you know, information about how language develops or, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And so I, I think sometimes information, giving people information can help them feel more comfortable and more knowledgeable and, um, take some of the fear out of, out of, you know, some of the conversations that we might have with patients or families about like what's, what's coming or what our role is or what the needs are. Yeah. And I think of that too as, for me, it kind of feels like slowing,
0: not slowing, but slowing down, yeah, slowing things down. So one of the things a couple years ago, I was working with a really great colleague and um, I had kind of a supervision role. And she um, one day came in after I had met with another teacher and she said, I just have to talk to you. And I said, okay. And she said, when you were talking to that teacher, you know, you were were really engrossed with them. You were really talking with them. You weren't typing on your computer, you weren't writing notes and you were really listening and it's funny because i carry that with me to this day i I have a really productive need, like I need to feel like I'm doing many things. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I'm consciously always working on is active listening really requires I'm not trying to be productive, I'm not trying to be fast, I'm not trying to be efficient. Right. So I guess reversing that into the positives is I'm trying to be present, I'm trying to slow down the process, and I'm trying to act in real time. I'm not looking beyond this moment right now. Right. And so that for me still feels uncomfortable and I'm still working on it. But it means, you know, when when we're talking, sometimes I will take notes to remind myself of things, but always remembering, like I'm present in this moment. Mm-hmm. And it's hard when we have so much access to being present in many places and doing many things at once. But really, the value of when I stop and I look at you, when I'm I'm clearly listening and and showing you and reflecting back, it makes a big difference versus if I'm you know t- you know writing on my notepad and talking back to you sometimes. Yeah. And how you perceive I'm receiving your information. And how you perceive my presence in the situation.
1: It's true. I think that you know the presence of computers during intakes of any kind uh, is is really you know the need to be documenting and efficient really interrupts and I think puts off the 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 naturalness of what people are going to say and how they're going to communicate. And it's such a tricky balance mm. because it's in you know especially in the medical settings i mean everything is everyone's on a computer yeah. all the time and everything is documented and it's it can be really um i know especially when i work with older patients who might have some cognitive challenges you know they're like what is that thing why do you why are you typing on that what are you doing on yeah. it and so i've started making a point of saying like oh i'm just taking some notes so i can remember what we talk about um to let them know why I'm not looking at them, yes. or why I have this, you know, thing with me, um, yeah. And and some of it,
0: I mean, that, some yeah. of that is systemic, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. We have this culture now of pro- be be productivity. productivity, yeah, be productive. I mean, that word is everywhere, especially in in our medical settings. um, But it's kind of like it's a it's a it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a definite challenge. Mm-hmm. Is Competing with those, so productive yet present, I mean, right? Because right. You, need to, you need to be documented and catching that information and being present. And so finding strategies, I think like what you just said, like I need to take some notes. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I try and front load. So like, okay, I'm, I have my computer with me to take notes in this part so I remember. And then also trying to also set it aside for some conversations. Right. And so kind of walking back. I mean, that requires a cognitive skill of being able to set the computer aside, be present, and yeah. then maybe go back typing notes But I feel like it's a skill when you, the more you practice it, the better you get. That's true. And I'm speaking from our field. I mean, I know in other fields it's different, but I think about, you know, our interviews and um, our evaluations and just that ability to kind of shift
1: between, like, you know, productive and present. I think also about, um, the sometimes even though I'll have a computer or an iPad or something that I'm taking notes on, I'll also bring something to write with. Yeah. Because I find that's less distracting for people when they're talking. The sound of something clicking or the way that you have to shift, you really have to be looking at a keyboard or looking at a, a piece of technology when you interact with it, as opposed to being able to just you know, write a note and kind of peripherally see that I'm actually writing letters that are next to each other, not yeah. on top of each other. Yes. You know, just to yes. jot something down. I find that that can be a little less intrusive. Um, in those settings where, you know, you may only have someone's attention for a short period of time, and having a piece of technology in the room could be really, um, just distracting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think sometimes, you know, the way that that balance is achieved is also tied to, and and the way that the communication happens around, you know, why we're asking questions, or Mm -hmm. how we gather information is really tied to how that's modeled by the the leadership of a of an organization, yes, um, and we're going to do a, a whole another podcast just yeah, on leadership. Yeah. Um, but I think it really is true that if the the people leading an organization model these types of this type of active listening with their with their employees and their coworkers, that it becomes much more second nature. Yes. And, Finding a balance between you know when to use technology and when not to, how to do an interview that is you know much more following the lead of the person talking rather than just asking a, a list of questions and gathering yes. you know hyper specific information without hearing what else is going on for them and um, those things are really learned through demonstration. Yes, modeling. So you said modeling, modeling. modeling and supporting. Yeah. So I'm yeah. showing you how
0: to do it I'm I'm supporting you to take the time to do it to mm-hmm. include it as part of your typical process. Right. Those things are huge. Yeah, but yeah, I think le- leadership really sets the tone Absolutely. for for supporting this work in the organization. So, I think that's I think that's yeah. a good point. So we actually yeah, point. yeah, we are going to in the next uh, podcast, number 4, we're going to talk a little bit about leadership. But uh, we hope you guys enjoyed our talk today on active listening. We hope uh, some feedback you can take with you. And also be sure to reach out to us on Instagram or by email. Yes. And give us some feedback. Let us know what you think. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks, guys.